Alright, and welcome to the Rory's Nitro podcast, the show that rips up the buy rates and TV ratings and declares our own winner in some of pro wrestling's biggest head-to-head battles. I'm your host, Lee Carlos Cunningham, back this week to look at the April 22nd, 1996 episodes of Raw and Nitro. This episode is about a week later than what I wanted to put it out because a little bit of a catastrophe in that all my notes for Raw were lost, uh, misplaced, my wife had a big tidy up of the house and the little book I wrote them in disappeared. After days and days of searching and back and forth telling her what a horrible, horrible wife she was for cleaning our house, I decided I better just rewatch the show and redo my notes. So, as it were, rewatched the show, redid all my notes. Um, as soon as the show finished, I think, oh, you know what I might do now is I might just go and have a quick workout um, before I get ready for whatever it else, whatever else it was I had on that day. Within two minutes of watching the show, I go in and I jump on my home gym and I start to do some um, leg curls and I just glance over to my right and notice the missing book with all my notes. So yes, two minutes after completing the show for a second time, I found my original notes. So that's why the show is a little bit later than usual, if anybody was wanting to know. Um, I've also not really had the opportunity to record this show recently because I've had a lot going on um, between my football commitments, um, having kids that apparently need spending time with and more exciting than any of that uh, sorry kids if you're listening which you won't be um i went and saw the mick foley um 20 years of hell tour recently here in brisbane for those of you wondering it was actually quite good um the meet and greet wasn't the best part of it i mean mick foley was just sort of banging people in and out um quick picture and a signature and the security was quite strict on you know one person per ticket and things like that so i couldn't even have a a picture with my brother in there with mick foley or anything like that which was a bit disappointing but the show itself was fantastic um unusually funny um i know Mick Foley's stand-up stuff is has been a little bit hit and miss, according to a lot of people. But th- this show was very funny. Um, the rundowns of the happenings at Hell in a Cell were great. As a little surprise warm-up, we had Al Snow doing some comedy before Mick came out, which was actually really funny as well. Um, although the most, probably the funniest part was quite inadvertent, as we're being shown into the comedy club after meeting Mick Foley in a, in a separate room on the venue. Um, the usher says to us, Okay, so here's the bar, here's where you order food, you see to this way, there's Al Snow and the bathrooms are at the back or something to that extent. And I was like, what, Al Snow? Like, just randomly stood beside the bar with a gimmick table selling pictures and whatnot. So my brother and I had to have a picture with Al Snow. Um, That was hilarious. Um, Worst part of the night would probably be the very end and... There was a and a for about 40 minutes or so. They were quite rushed. Mick Foley was under, um, wasn't keeping hiding the fact that he had been a long trip, a lot of travel, and he was quite tired. So it was about 40-odd minutes of, of Q&A, but they were tight on that schedule. We get to the last question of the night, and in an act that proves why celebrities of really any entertainment genre very rarely travel to Australia, a guy gets up, grabs the microphone off the guy taking it around, and his question is basically this. So, Mick... With your death match with Terry Funk in Japan, at what point were you like, nah, this cunt's fucked? Yeah, let that settle in for a minute. That was the final question of the night. And then um, he also had a question for Al Snow, which was something along the lines of, at what point did you think, nah, holy cunt? And Al actually cracked everybody up in the room by going, oh, yeah, I was definitely thinking at that time, holy cunt, which was pretty funny. But, I mean, it's just like, come on, I mean... 
I obviously wasn't born in this country, but have lived here a long time. And it's re- it's people like this that make me still claim England to this day. So there you have it. But definitely, if um, Mick Foley's touring near you, I would say he's definitely refined his um, show and well worth watching. But I won't bore you with a review of that anymore. Let's get into the two episodes. So... Nitro is coming to us from the Albany Civic Center in Albany, Georgia. Raw is coming from the Orange Pavilion in California. Raw had a hefty win in the ratings battle on this night, 3.3 to a 2.7. Raw is the go-home to Good Friends Better Enemies, which means Carl and I will be chatting again in the near future. Um, But for now, we... Watch Raw first, Nitro second, Raw third. So let's split the difference and go to Nitro first on this one and get started. to this all titles on the line anybody that pins the nature boy rick flair becomes the new world heavyweight champion that means anybody it could mean the giant should the giant in flair defeat sting and luger we have new world tag team champions and anybody that beats luger becomes a new world television champion it does not get any hotter than WCW Monday Nitro live on TNT. Heenan, what do you think, man? Well, I just came from the back area. There's more police in the back area right now. You would think that President Clinton is here. And why are they here? Because the Macho Man is here tonight. Last week, they took him out of here in handcuffs, shackled him, took him in a squad car. Who knows what he's going to do tonight? Woo, I got to reiterate that, my friend. You see the little guy. He's got the eyes popping out. I saw Macho backstage. The eyes are out. He's got the slavering jaws. He's the Cujo of the WCW. I don't know what we're going to do. He's going to tear up the whole joint. The Cujo, indeed. This guy spent more time in handcuffs and squad cars than anybody that I know. A whole lot of action coming your way. Like I said, we alive. Public enemy coming up. Let's get down to the ring. And I'll tell you what. As I said, we are live. We are not like the World Whining Federation, which is a tape can show. Happened a couple of weeks ago. Let me save you some time and put your remote control down. The RuPaul impersonator, the transvestite gold dust, defeats Savio Vega, regains the intercontinental title, title Yawn. Mankind defeats Aldo Montoya, bigger yawn, and Vader defeats Fatu. Oh boy. But we are live. Anything can happen, and it may happen tonight in the main event. Every title, almost every title of WCW up for grabs under the Cruiserweight Championship. Uh-oh. We'll be talking about that. So there you have it. I've let Eric Bischoff himself tell you all about what's going to happen. Um, I ran that mostly so you could listen to two things. One, obviously, is what he said at the end there about the WWF, just to show you that the spoiler effect is still very much in play here. And this is why I normally watch Raw first and then Nitro. Um, 20 years old, obviously, so spoilers are not that big of a deal. But a lot of the less memorable matches I don't know about, so I do want to watch them and enjoy them. Um, I try and give both shows the opportunity to see a fresh set of eyes, and I don't read too much about them in advance so that I can give a fair rating on what was the better product. But the main thing is the talk about the main event, because 
we'll get to it when we get to the main event. But essentially, I want you to just keep in mind for now that Bischoff has basically said this match is a lot like the old um, the match we've sort of seen a few times in the WWF. I think the first time we saw it was Owen and Yoko, except maybe Bulldog subbed in. Um, I, I can't remember, but from an early pay-per-view up against Sean and Diesel, where it was a similar situation, I think from memory in that one, Sean and Diesel won the tag belts, but had to give them back the next night because they pinned Bulldog, some convoluted mess. Um, and then later on as, as well with the two-man power trip taking on Undertaker and Kane in 01. Um, so these matches have happened before, except he gave an added twist to this one where, in Bischoff's words, the giant could pin Ric Flair. So keep all of that in mind, and we'll see how that one plays out when we get to the main event. <coughs> Excuse me. Moving right along, though, as you heard there, Public Enemy, Public Enemy, sorry, are on their way out for the opening contest, and they're taking on the American Males. Um, Public Enemy's music is very, very low, and then the American Males was as well. It's barely audible, so a bit of a rare um, sound snafu from WCW here. They just didn't have the audio levels right at all. It sounded like they just added in a bit of music really lowly in post-production, but as they were live, that's obviously not the case. It was just really not well done. Public Enemy jumped the males early, and we get a four-man brawl, as was the style of all Public Enemy matches ever. Um, and the American males end up clotheslining them both out of the ring and hitting them with planches. Bischoff wishes Pillman a speedy recovery from a car crash, so it's around that time there to date this for you. Um, we have a hip toss, a slam, and a drop kick from the males. A double drop kick before the enemies take over with a bit of a beatdown. Um, we get a... Lion Salt from Bagwell, which results in a two-count. Pretty cool. I didn't know he had that in his arsenal. And then we get a double flapjack and a crossbody block for a two-count before Public Enemy come back with a double clothesline. Rocco misses a Swanton Bomb. We get a hot tag into um, Riggs. We get some punches, a drop kick, a forearm before Bagwell comes back in to be taken out. He's thrown over the top rope and somehow this results in a disqualification still in 1996. Also keep that one in mind because we'll see if that is a consistent ruling throughout the show. Uh, we then get a pretty cool double team table spot after the match. So Rocco runs towards the apron where Grunge is stood on the apron on the outside back to um, Riggs who's lay on the table on the floor. Rocco flips over the top rope into Grunge and they sandwich onto Riggs through the table. Um, really, really cool spot for a nothing throwaway match. So if nothing else, you're going to get a cool innovative table spot from the public enemy in this era. <clears throat> we then go to our first commercial break of the evening we then come up to something which i also didn't realize was still in effect in 1996 and that is the lottery drawings for battle bowl yes battle bowl potentially the worst concept for a pay-per-view of all time i don't think i've ever seen a good one of these pay-per-views um, although it did allow the chance in the early days for a nifty ring to be won which is something a little bit different to a belt um, nowadays with most sports teams getting a belt from wwe when they win a championship anyway i guess the rings are passe it's Gene Oakland with some random girls out to draw the names. And as usual for Battle Bowl drawings, it's always enemies accidentally teaming up and all people in the same storyline randomly drawn in the same match bullshit that you're used to. So we get Hugh Morris and Meng taking on Bobby Walker and the Barbarian. Oh, wow. In a random drawing, it's Meng up against the Barbarian. How did that happen? Stevie Ray and Big Bubba Rogers taking on Scott Norton and Ice Train. Yes, that's right. Fire and Ice drawn at random. And then Ric Flair. Oh, who would he accidentally? 
permanently draw out. There's only one man that keeps going to jail for attacking him. There's no way the odds could be that good, could they? Yes, it's the Macho Man Randy Savage. As you can see, I'm pretty sour on this concept. I just think it's fucking stupid. Um, and they, of course, are drawn against Arn Anderson. And for a wild card, one that I actually did like, Eddie Guerrero. So... That's got the potential to be a good match, but I can guarantee it ends up in storyline mess even before I know anything about it. From there, I'll take my cynical hat off and we'll go to another commercial break. And when we come back, it is time for a match which didn't appear on the graphics. I always flick through and see what's coming up. And I was pleasantly surprised to see it's Chris Benoit and Eddie Guerrero. I'm sure Bischoff mentioned it at the top of the show, but I probably missed that as well. So I was quite happy when this popped up all of a sudden. We get a quick start and an arm drag and a drop kick from Eddie. Um, Mongo says that there's more movement in this match than in a Metamucil convention. So there you go. Some good lines from Mongo as usual. We get a really good high back suplex from Benoit before we interrupt with a commercial break. We come back and Eddie Guerrero hits a nice Hurricane Rana. And apparently this match is in the middle or just outside of a Cruiserweight tournament that's supposedly going on. I knew nothing about this. Um, But as they chat on about this, they basically tell us Benoit's already been eliminated from that. So fair enough. Guerrero hits a back suplex um, and then a German for a two count. Guerrero flies off the top rope at a standing Benoit to hit a Hurricane Rana for another two. Before Benoit rolls up Guerrero, puts his feet on the rope and picks up the somewhat tainted one two three for the win decent match but not long enough to be anything special we go to another commercial and when we come back it is gene with a wcw wcw executive rob garner i have no idea who that is so don't ask me um and macho man comes out and he's basically told to change his behavior or face ramifications macho man cuts a promo on the suit nobody knows or cares about so obviously gets a big baby face reaction and then walks off with nothing really happening we get a bit of a rundown of what's to come this week on Saturday night, and it's going to be Regal up against Finley, and then we're going to see the Macho Man, we'll see the Giant, Benoit will take on Alex Wright, and Harlem Heat will challenge Sting and Lex Luger. So that sounds like a pretty decent episode. Um, most of these are on the network now, so if you want to check that out, feel free to do so. Eric Bischoff likes to tell us uh, these days that he had something for everyone on his shows when he was running WCW, and in what can be no further proof than that, we go from Chris Benoit versus Eddie Guerrero to Meng versus Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Now, you might be asking who this one is for, and I'm not quite sure, but you can't get much more of a contrast in styles than these two matches, so not exciting to me, um, but it is what it is. We get some kick and punching from Duggan early on, and then some absolute bullshit house show stalling. Uh, Meng then hits a takeover and some punches. Duggan with an atomic drop and a slam. Goes to get his 2x4 for some inexplicable reason in the middle of the match, but eats a super kick for a 2. Goes outside the ring and grabs a roll of tape and very sloppily just wraps it without really any care at all around his fist. And this is enough to knock out the hard-headed Meng for the 1-2-3. Utter, utter shit. I can't say that any other way. Um, 
Meng had also, I, I've neglected to write this in because I gave this as brief a summary as I could because I didn't enjoy it at all. But Meng had no soul blows to the head during this match. And now because he's got a bit of sticky tape on his hand, all of a sudden that's a, a gimmick to knock out Meng. So yeah, there you go. Um, we get some more lottery picks for the Battle Bowl. Alex Wright and Disco Inferno are going to be teaming up to take on Bobby Eaton and Dick Slater. I had to pause them because I was about to say Heath Slater and I realized that can't possibly be right. Um, Gene hits on the girls a little bit and he calls himself a combination of Bob Barker and Ric Flair. So there you go. Both have been pretty big highlights of mine on Monday Night Raw and so are Gene. So possibly he's right there. Um, We then get Regal and Finley drawn together. What a surprise to take on Michael Wall Street and Hacksaw Jim Duggan before going to a commercial and ending the shenanigans of Gene. When we come back, it is time for the Giant and Ric Flair to take on Sting and Lex Luger. Keep in mind, all titles are on the line, and the Giant can pin Ric Flair if he wants the World Heavyweight title, according to Eric Bischoff. During his entrance, Ric Flair kisses the hand of Deborah McMichael, who is again in the front row, and Mongo gets a little bit more fired up than he did last week on this and starts to threaten to go after Flair, so let's see if that carries on. Macho Man runs in um, and attacks Flair during the entrances. The cops come out and arrest him. Um, also, I noticed during the entrance of Sting and Luger, oh, sorry, um, sorry during Flair and the Giant, um, I, I completely take that back. I'm going to stop for a moment. I'm going to check my facts because I may have written the wrong thing here. Okay, upon checking my facts, I had written in the notes on the, on the day watching the show that the Giant didn't bring out the TV title, but that, of course, is because he's not the TV champion, Lex Luger is. So I'm now even more confused about these tips because if someone was to pin Luger, do they get the tag belt and the TV title or do they have to choose? I'm not really sure on that. Um, my apologies for the confusion, but I'm not going to take the blame on it. I'm going to blame Bischoff for this one. Um, when we um, get started, Bobby Heenan says that Ric Flair has nothing to lose, which confuses me completely because he has the world heavyweight title to lose and three potential um, people to take it from him. So not sure how that one works. We get a drop kick from Sting on the Giant and then a double clothesline to knock him over the top rope to the floor, which you would be right in assuming does not result in a disqualification because that rule has now been abandoned because it doesn't fit the storyline of this match. Ric Flair then gets clotheslined over the top rope as well and see the comment I made five seconds earlier. Ric Flair chops Lex Luger before eating a press slam and a couple of clotheslines. The crowd are very hot for this. I've got to give them that. This is a match that is exciting, the people they have there. Sting hits a 10 punch and then a hip toss and a drop kick. Flair goes up top and comes off with a somersault plancher or gets caught with a press slam. I'm not quite sure which one it was. Sting gets him up for a superplex. They brawl along the outside and Flair hits an absolute beautiful delayed vertical suplex, which Sting pops up and no sells immediately. Lex hits a power slam, but Giant makes a save. Sting comes off the top rope with a chop block to the Giant, who has uh, Luger in the goozle to help save him from the choke slam. Flair then begs off from the faces. Woman hands him a cup of coffee while he's down on his knees in the corner, but he accidentally throws it in the face of the Giant. This is enough to uh, call for the bell, so Flair hitting his own partner is okay for disqualification, we think. And then everybody in the match legs it up the ramp and gets away from the angry Giant. We sort of pause for a moment while the giant gets his eyes all sorted and Flair comes back down with a towel and begs him for forgiveness on his knees. 
Gene comes out to find out what's going on because he's a bit of a gossip snoop old Gene Oakland here. And the giant says that he wants Ric Flair's world title. Ric Flair goes back up to the commentary table, gets a microphone, and from a safe distance talks some smack. The giant finally gets fed up and comes out and chases him off. And we go with a parting shot from the commentators telling us next week we will have Flair versus a giant for the world heavyweight title. So pretty exciting ending to the show. There was some good stuff, some bad stuff, and, you know, some stuff that made absolutely no sense, but you can't fault WCW for ending on a cliffhanger here on live TV, so definitely got to give Bischoff props. He had um, a good spot in the opening match to make it memorable. He had the, the wrestlers really you need in the middle of the show to keep everyone's attention, and he had an awesome ending to the show, so lots of faults and flaws throughout, but definitely the way to end Nitro. That will do it for Nitro. We're going to head over to Raw, which I should be an expert on by now, and see whether or not it stacks up against this Nitro. The World Wrestling Federal for over 50 years, the revolutionary force in sports entertainment. We thank you for joining us tonight, ladies and gentlemen, on WWF Raw. Vince McMahon here and Jerry the King Lawler on hand at ringside. We are about ready to witness the Intercontinental Championship matchup. Someone will be crowned champion right here tonight. Will it be Savio Vega or will it be this man led by Marlena? Goldust, who's uh, lost a little bit of weight as of late, if you know what I mean, King. Oh, yeah, very funny, McMahon. I guess you're obviously referring to the fact that he's lost the Intercontinental title belt, right? Flashbacks big down, ladies and gentlemen. Savio Vega, Savio Vega ready for action. And Savio, can you hear us? Yes, I hear you, Fizz. Savio, let me ask you a question. I know you're shaking in your boots right now. I know you're scared of that uh, one. Callate, oh. King. Callate la boca. Savio Vega, oh. estoy listo para ti, Goldos. Estoy preparado. Vengo what? a pelear. El campeonato está en la línea. Así que, Goldos, yo espero que tú estés bien preparado. Porque ahora mismo, Savio Vega va para el ring. As you heard there, we're opening up with Savio Vega taking on Goldust for the one-week vacant Intercontinental title from the hold-up in the previous week's matchup. Um, the match gets started with a bit of a slugfest and then a huge clothesline from Savio, which Goldust sells with his big flip, a power slam for a two-count, and then Goldust comes back with a dropping-to-the-mat uppercut and a kiss for Savio Vega. He then disguises a low blow behind the referee's back as well. Jerry Lawler tells us for some reason that 36% of all bosses peek at their employees' emails. I'm not quite sure what he was getting at here before we go to a first commercial break. We come back and Goldust has a leg lock on, stalling for the ad, and Jerry Lawler tells us that two out of three Americans are overweight, so really good info here, King. It's really adding to the match a whole lot. Goldust works over the leg, but then abandons that and goes in for a camel clutch. And we get an insert promo from the Ultimate Warrior on Goldust, the highlight of which is telling him to squeal like a pig. This I actually enjoyed. I mean, not that it was a great promo or anything, but Goldust is the one with the uh, movie line quote. So Ultimate Warrior quoting one from Deliverance definitely got a little pop from me. Um, we then see Austin and Ted DiBiase appear in the aisle. So it appears as though there's a lot going on during this match. Savio Vega hits a small package for a two count, then a spin kick for a two count, a roll up for a two count. But eventually Marlena senses the danger, distracts the referee, and this allows Austin to jump up into the ring and nail Savio Vega with the million dollar belt for the one, two, three, giving Goldust back his intercontinental title. Not really sure this makes a whole lot of sense because surely Austin feuding with Vega would want him to have gold on the line, but this is what they went for anyway. We go from there to a bit of a video package of Shawn Michaels and Diesel, um, really selling that this is a big-time contest um, for the title at the pay-per-view coming up at the end of this week. 
From there, we go to the Yawn Fest. Bischoff talked to us about Vader and Fatu. Um, I love Vader in this era, so it definitely wasn't boring for me. Uh, we do show a recap of the Gorilla Monsoon beatdown way back from January before we go to a commercial. And then when we come back, the match gets underway and Vader begins to beat the shit out of Fatu. Hits him with a clothesline, which again, Fatu sells with the old Rikishi bump, um, which is pretty funny. A shoulder block... Um, Sorry, uh, Fatu comes back with a shoulder block and then hits a diamond cutter and a top rope splash, which is completely no-sold by Vader, which was a bit of an interesting choice. Uh, We then get another clothesline on Rikishi, which he flips for Rikishi Fatu. You know what I'm talking about. And Vader goes up top and hits the fucking moonsault for the one, two, three. Just an incredible finish to a pretty decent, you know, sort of two-star squash match here. Two stars is in two wrestles that are stars. I don't rate them a la Meltzer, but you get my drift. We then go to some video footage of a German house show where they talk up how popular Brett is in Europe, but then basically Vince shits all over that by going, but nobody compares to the popularity of Shawn Michaels. Um, And they show us an angle that took place over there with the Bulldog beating up Jake the Snake Roberts, and that's enough to get us a match on the next pay-per-view as well. So I guess they can't just go into that with one match, really. They've got to beef it up somehow. Um, This ended with Jake getting his comeback and putting the snake over the Bulldog as well for anyone that was interested. We then go to our next contest, which is the Godwins, Henry and Phineas, taking on Tim Patterson and a little-known job guy by the name of Yoshihiro Tajiri. So there you go. I didn't know he was another one of the ECW guys that appeared as a jobber on Raw. Put him up there with Rhino, who appeared under his real name, which I've since forgotten, and just incredible many squash matches as Aldo Montoya, including another one on this show here. We get another promo from Sonny and the Body Donners in set here, basically um, telling the Godwins they're no good and they're not going to take the titles. Um, Tajiri hits a standing moonsault, which is pretty cool. And then Henry Godwin goes for a bit of a sloppy bear hug. Sonny runs out with the tag belts, but Hillbilly Jim chases her off and Lawler insinuates that this is all a plan. Um, We're told they're going to have a tag title match at the pay-per-view. We get a slop drop in the ring for the 1-2-3, but the Body Donners come out and attack and beat down the Godwins, as well as putting slop in the face of Phineas as we go to our next commercial break. From there, we go to our next matchup, which is Aldo Montoya taking on Mankind. Uh, We show the Mankind debut attacking The Undertaker, so we're having some flashbacks to really get some character development going on this show. Um, Aldo comes out with a drop kick before eating a headbutt and some stomps from Mankind, some punches, and then he pulls out his own hair. Before we go to another commercial break... Aldo comes out with some punches and a corner dropkick, which looked pretty cool, um, but comes off the top rope and straight into the forearm smash to the face from Mankind, who then puts him up in the tree of row, tree of row, tree of woe even, and drops him with a cool elbow, a pulling pile driver, and locks on the mandible claw, which is not really a big sort of flashy move just yet. He just basically grabs him and sticks the fingers in. It's not Mr. Soccer or anything like that yet, but it is enough for the victory. We then go to another video package on Diesel and Shawn Michaels, um, showing their really good run through the years, which it was it was pretty good nostalgia for me. I've got fond memories of those two together. And a Diesel promo from Germany, which I will splice in for you now because it's got some interesting side notes in it. Daddy Cool Kid Deutschland, getting ready to go out in Berlin and teach another one of these idiots from the World Wrestling Federation a lesson. And Shawn Michaels, I'm going to teach you a lesson. And in your house, Omaha. Final chapter of your career. I'm not worried about that belt. I don't want that belt. That belt was on me for over a year. You know what? It was the worst year of my life. You know why? Because 
Vince McMahon and the rest of the corporate puppets tried to make Big Daddy cool something he wasn't. Now that I'm what I am, how ironic. I don't win any slammies. I don't get any accolades, no. I'm the bad guy. But you know what, Shawn Michaels? The people know who the real leader of the new generation is. It's Big Daddy Cool. Has been. You know why? You're a dime a dozen in sport. Me? Hey, they don't grow on trees like me, buddy. I'm a genetic wonder. There's only one Big Daddy Cool. And you're looking at him. And in your house, anything can happen. You know what, McMahon? Sitting at ringside? When I get done with Michaels, you need to watch yourself. I got a little score to settle with you. Anything can happen in your house. Anything. What's he mean by that? Well, I can just tell you this, McMahon. Next Monday night here on Raw, I'll be here, and I'll be in the corner of Isaac Yankum going and to get something's going to happen to you. Yeah, well, you may not be here next Monday night after Sunday and in your house. <laughs> So, after that, you hear um, Diesel basically insulting Vince as well as Michael's. A uh, little bit of a sort of more of a realistic storyline just being weaved in as Diesel's on his way out the door. So, it's a little bit interesting. I never really knew much about this um, going back. So, it was pretty cool to see. But that brings us to the end of Raw. And it's time to pick ourselves a winner across the five categories as per usual. Production value, I went with Raw this week. Um, the grainy footage from the house show wasn't the best, but at least their music actually played properly and was audible when they went. Um, it's sometimes hard to pick really a fault between the two, and it is nitpicking, but I've got to go with Raw for that reason. The crowd heat was the opposite. I went with Nitro. Uh, they were really animated. There was nothing about Raw that made me think it was a hot crowd, so Nitro definitely gets the nod there. For storylines, I went with a tie because both of them did a pretty bad job. Nitro had a storyline in its main event that it never really stuck to and didn't pay off and didn't seem to make much sense either. Raw rushed through a bunch of storylines to get pay-per-view matches set up a week or less than a week's time away, so that was pretty poor as well. Neither of them did a good job there. For characters, I went with Nitro. They just had more of the big hitters on. Um, they obviously didn't have Hogan, but they had Macho, Flair, Giant, Sting, Luger, um, you know, whereas Raw was missing a lot of players. There was no live action from Michaels, Diesel, Brett, Taker. That's pretty much your big four guys. Um, so Nitro definitely picks up a pretty easy win there. And as for wrestling, I went with Nitro taking the slight advantage over Raw. Uh, Benoit and Guerrero was brief but good in the main event. Whilst the storyline was nonsense, the action was fairly good with four over guys. So Nitro picks up a win here despite what the rating said on the night. Um, tends to be a little bit of a pattern where we flop backwards and forwards. The rating gives a win to one and we disagree and go the other way but that's the way it is looking back with hindsight thank you all for listening again feel free to check us out on twitter and facebook get in touch and as always we're seeking out some reviews for the show so please do so any questions you've got send them my way and i'll speak to you all again very very soon